very difficult sometimes to throttle back and keep from saying things that maybe you're concerned with things of this world. But I'd like to greet you this morning in the name of our Savior and our soon coming King, Jesus Christ. You probably been trying to figure out because as I've been filling in while Ed is recovering, the times that I've been asked at least. So I'm kind of taking the liberty to jump from subject to subject. And, and some of them I've, I've given much thought and prayer and consideration as to what some of the things that perhaps needs to be said and it's not always easy. I learned this years ago, and it's sometimes easier in a strange church and where you're not the pastor. You're not subject to the criticism of the local membership or whatever. To say things that uncover subjects that maybe not so needful, but sometimes you can draw criticisms as well. Obviously, we live in a time of a sin-sick and a decaying society. And we don't have to look too far around us, and, and especially if you look on the various websites and many of the things that's going on in society, you won't see on, or even here on ABC or NBC or CBS or, or some of those networks because they're pretty well controlled to feed the line that supposedly they're for, supporting. There's some things going on in this world that just utterly shakes my mind to realize what's going on and we'll talk about them some things, not that we're going to discuss them per se, but they'll be alluded to at least. But I want to deal with sin and its terrible consequences. And with that in mind, I'd have given the title of today's message the black picture of sin. From almost the beginning of the, from the, 
practically from the very, very beginning. Man has departed from the commandments of the living God. We don't have to look too far in Genesis, the chap first chapter. It records the creation of the earth and every living creature, including the creation of mankind, is mentioned. And he made them male and female. We know that Adam and Eve was given instructions of things that they could eat and things that they could not. And yet, they chose to ignore God. They ignored obeying Him. And so consequently, death and the effects of sin was passed on to all mankind. You can read about it in Genesis 1, in particular Genesis 2, 17. But the Bible is full of sins committed by God's people, rulers, judges, kings, Virtually every individual of high authority and even of low. And it's recorded of what's went on. We record in Genesis, the sixth chapter, and verse five and six, if you're one of those that normally takes note. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was on evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man and the earth and it grieved him at his heart. something good, something that was declared wonderful. And yet, because what man chose to do at their own free will, which God granted them through the ability, but he also gave them the instructions And because of wickedness and the evil, we read that the, earth, uh, that the flood occurred and virtually wiped out all of mankind. And it's interesting in statistics, and I'll just pass this on below. It's not in my notes. But when I was attending Midwest Bible College, there used to be a book on numerology in the library. And according to people that studies genealogies and based on the ages of men and so on, 
They think that there were several, the population at the time of the flood was several million. Beyond, even beyond our imagination, what the number was growth because of the age in which they lived. And, the, and even though the things that transpired, yet they always seemed to have their mind on corruption. We read further and study as we analyze scripture that kings, leaders, and yes, even individuals and kingdoms were destroyed and fell and decayed and became non-existent because of the things that they carried on contrary to God's will and God's instructions. Again in 13, Genesis 13, 13, it says, For the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord. Exceedingly, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire and molten hailstones. And in the end, every sinner will face the judgment. They will give, be required to give an account of themselves and ultimately second death. We can talk against sin until the kingdom come. But if we cannot see it's awfulness in our mind's eye. We may never fully internalize the consequences of our sinful and rebellious refusal to obey God's commandments. In essence, if you analyze it, virtually we know that sin is the violation of the law. And we could have discussions at length on that. But I want to pretty much this morning zero in on the subjects of the awfulness of sin. As it was pointed out by the Apostle Paul in his book, The Romans, but it's interesting when Paul started the writing Romans before he jumped to, into the sinful ways of man and corruption and what was going on. He basically introduced the gospel, its purpose, its needs, and the consequences of failing to obey. Later on in the book, if you'd study all the way through, then he begins to expound upon it much more than the first allusions made 
in the Romans, the first chapter. But actually he made the call for the gospel before he addressed the picture, painted the picture for the mind's eye of the awfulness of sin. In Romans 1 and 1 through 6, and we're only going to read parts of them this morning, those texts this morning, but in Romans 1, 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and separated into the gospel of God. We can read hastily through that, and it sounds great. But really, when we analyze it, a servant of, and you begin to look at the deeper meanings, and it becomes, he's declaring himself to be a slave, totally committed, under complete surrender to serving God. He talks about being called an apostle. And we read it over and sometimes we skip the meanings and wonder what it may mean. But in just a bit of curiosity, I looked at Merriam-Webster and see in modern terms what it means. We know that apostle in many cases was a church official. and We know that the 12 apostles was primarily the first leadership of the early church. But he's called to be an apostle. Merriam-Webster indicates that there's some of the synonymous words that indicates what that is. An advocate. An advocator. A promoter. Or a supporter. And what did he support? He was set aside dedicated his life by the, the Lord to be a servant, separated into the gospel. Again, totally committed to minister to believers and unbelievers alike, proclaiming salvation through Jesus Christ. In other words, he was totally 100% dedicated for his life person was just the ministry. Going to the notice that in Romans it says concerning the son of Jesus Christ our Lord which was made the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the truth among all nations for his name, among whom ye are also the called of Jesus Christ. Clearly he's making in verses 3 through 6, the indications, 
He's kind of setting down the credentials, as it were, to his authority. But he's also uplifting and promoting the Lord Jesus and our obligation to be obedient and faithful throughout society. Technically, he was boldly declaring the lineage of Jesus Christ when he said he, he was made from the seed of David and of Abraham. And we're not going into depth as to all the meanings of that, but it clearly indicates his authority, his legitimacy, legitimacy. No, he was a legitimate son of God, brought up on earth for the very special purpose of being our Savior. Secondly, he was boldly declaring that he was indeed the Son of God. Not only born of man with an earthly lineage, but also the Son of God. Again, we see that Paul was establishing his authority to represent Jesus Christ and the gospel, including the need to speak out so boldly against the sinful corruption and sinful wickedness of man during his ministry upon earth. Even to the extent that he was obligatory in order to meet the task that he'd been set at to warn the awfulness and progressiveness and the destructive circumstances of sin. And sometimes we talk about sin, we know about sin, but we don't even stop to think how one little sin leads to a deeper sin and a bigger sin and so on. It goes to mind that to illustrate that point, we can look at David. He just ducked one lustful look. And it consequently, he committed not only adultery, but he ended up with a scheme that resulted in, the, you might say, almost the murder of her husband, just so he could have Bathsheba. So we begin to see Paul's bold statement. Again, he stated, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation to one that believeth and to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
So it actually included all mankind at the time, figuratively speaking, but at that time he was talking to the citizenry of this age. But it makes a distinction. For wherein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith at his risen? The just shall believe by faith. Sometimes we look at what's going on in the world and so on, and we have to really question, is those individuals that's claiming to be Christians, are they really not ashamed of the gospel? Do they really believe in the power of God unto salvation? To everyone that believeth. We see all kinds of agnostics and everything else in the world. Salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul has just laid his introductory statements for perhaps the greatest theme of the Bible and that of the salvation of mankind through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But first, in the book of Romans, before talking about salvation, he paints the black picture of sin. Given the bad news first, then the good news that was to follow. And today we're just talking about looking at some of that awful picture that he paints of those that are not walking faithfully and what the real bad looks. And I can just see it as he goes through it step by step. He lives, leaves an imagery for your minds to see the progressiveness of sin. We read in 8 19, and that's the same chapter. We're pretty much staying with Romans for a little while. I'm going to be skipping. Before the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. By implication there, that indicates that there's some that knows the truth, but technically they're not living up to it. They're holding it in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Just an example of the wickedness that we begin to see. In Numbers, the first five chapters deal so much with Israel 
and they're dabbling with Baal worship. They provoke God. And if you follow all the history of Israel, one bad king, one good king, or one good leader, and one bad leader, just up and down and all kinds of sinfulness throughout the nation of Israel. They were punished. Ultimately, they were allowed to be taken out of the land. And even though, to some extent, maybe just a remnant has returned, but at least some has come back to the land. Isaiah, the 13th chapter, 9 through 13, begins to paint the picture. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of God of hosts. in the day of his fierce anger. Technically we can, and it's not a really a technicality, but we can see clearly that the time is coming. There's, there's no escape from the wrath of God, except through the blood of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, sinners are without excuse. They've been warned over and over and over again throughout Scripture. And yet, man still yet seemingly majors in sinful ways rather than following God. We look at the, what God revelation has revealed to man. And that's Isaiah 13, 19, and verse 19 and 20. And Babylon, the great, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chalges, excellency, shall be as when God 
overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pitch tents there, neither shall the shepherds make their bold fold there. We think about it and look what it's saying here and look at it and go just go to Google Earth or whatever and look where Babylon was. Historically, we know that Babylon is an empty, desolate place in the middle of a desert now. History tells us if we search that only a muse museum is there. We know from past effects that Sodom Hussein tried to rebuild Babylon, but obviously we should all know what happened to him. So he didn't succeed. So in truth, the word scripture stands. It stands as being validated that what God told through the prophet Isaiah concerning Babylon is true today. Back of all idolatrist systems is pure monotheism, one God. Man may not be able to stand the intimate knowledge of God, for it made them uncomfortable in their sins. So we learned that through the ages, so many, many of the nations in their time developed, created lesser deities because they didn't, they wanted to go between, between them and their God. They had a, a visionary concept that God was unapproachable. So consequently, they got into a sinful situation there. We read in the 21st verse and 23 of Romans that they become vain in their imaginations. Let's read it together. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. 
professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Does that ring a bell with what we can glean from society? And it says, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made with a corruptible man and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. All kinds of wicked imagery that was detestable to God. Actually, they became so steeped in their ways, God couldn't respond to mankind. He couldn't stomach it. He couldn't handle it any further. And it goes further. And so we read in the 24th chapter verse, Therefore God gave them up to up. In other words, he abandoned them to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. It's interesting to sometimes look and see how other scriptures or other interpreters, interpretations may have been made throughout the ages of gave them up or abandoned them to uncleanliness. I noticed from study that the RSV, instead of saying uncleanliness, they refer to passionate desires for pleasure. How much, what kind of a picture does that draw to us? Because it seems like that the center focus of our population throughout the world mostly today is technically centered on self and their own pleasures and their own desires and their own pleasures, whatever that may be. Of course, the King James says they gave them up to uncleanliness. And so I, out of curiosity, I looked and from the Strong's Concordance that corresponds with the definition given for G189 or 169 rather, which is impurity physically or morally. And what do we see in the land? We're having big discussions in this area even today in much of the ungodly populace of the world. But we see 
what many would fear to say that homosexuality, transgenderism, women marrying women, men marrying men, and an astronomically large number and the statistics changing so fast that it's impossible to get a good accurate number, but a great deal of the population of the United States, or we've even, in the vernacular of different forms and so on, you will fill out. It'll talk about your name and then your spouse or significant other. Hundreds, millions. It says who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the Creator more than the Creator, creature more than the Creator, rather, who is blessed forever. Amen. Just how many lies? I couldn't begin to calculate them. I just quickly thought of four or five as an example. Lies that we have. Lies regarding Easter and Christmas and baptism not important, sprinkling heaven. And no telling how many others that we see in society. And we know as far as the last one, I don't know, it just turns my stomach, so to speak, whenever I hear any minister that you can almost listen to on the web. And they'll slip in that when we get to heaven. When we get there, or mom and papa's there, or my wife, deceased spouse, or whatever. It slips in there. But technically, if you look carefully, there's many verses that back this up, but basically, when we were studying the earth renewed and so on, that the righteous shall inherit the earth. This is just an example of some of the things that's going on. We read further an age of immoral corruption. Moral corruption. In verse 26 and 27, for this cause, God gave them up into vile affections. You see, number one, he gave them up to uncleanliness. Now it's to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust. One towards another, men with men, working that which is unseemingly and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was met. 
I mentioned a moment ago some things that's being discussed and we see that it's occurring. There's an ongoing battle because of all of these men and I'm not letting the women off just yet. All these men that's trying to say that they're a woman and changing themselves and competing in women's sports. And it's killing women's sports because a woman is made just a little bit different than a man. And for different reasons and purposes of God. And so the, this, call him a transgender or whatever, is stronger and more competitive. But we see women wanting to change themselves. And worse yet, it's crept into clear down to the kindergarten age in our public education. How much further can we slip? I'm not going to deal a lot there, but we know from Levitic, Leviticus 20, 13, this, it indicated that the sodomites should be put to death. And I'm sure that if we had a death penalty in society, a lot of that would be corrected in a short order. The next step we see that they go to total reprobates. Hopelessly wicked. I'm just going to quickly read through the next five verses, six, five verses, yeah. Verse 28 through 32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a retrobate mind to do that which were those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murders, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implicable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I don't think that needs that much explanation. 
or even consideration this morning, we see that that catalog of, of sinful activities is totally despicable for society. And unfortunately, so many people seemingly in the world gets caught up in the in the what they think is a little sin that gradually goes deeper and deeper and deeper. It's kind of like the one that tells a lie. And then you got to tell a lie to cover up the lie. And pretty soon they have to catalog their thoughts or sometime they're going to reveal themselves. I don't know how they can all keep track. But anyway, As a closing summary, I want to go over some things with you. We see that Paul began establishing his dedication to God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as a Christian, we should be doing the same. Then we see the progressive wickedness of mankind and their being forsaken and allowed to go to a more serious, hopeless status with God. We clearly see Paul lay out before man the awfulness, the awfulness of sin and shows its progression. In a closing, as a summary, I want to kind of go through that progression. The first result we see in number one, resulting in the action of man, he gets into idolatry and vain imaginations. The consequences, God gave them over to uncleanliness. Result, resulting in the worship and serving of the creature more than the creator. That's number two, the worship and serving of the creator. Number three is the result of deviant sexual behavior. Consequences, God give them over to a probate mind. That's backed up not only in Paul, but in Thessalonians there's a reference of the wickedness of the mind. Result in turning to ever imaginable sin. That's the fourth one. So we see one, two, three, and four, and progressively every one gets worse. And you've read that, uh, we read that catalog of sinful natures there. And we realize that the fourth one, the consequences, is found in Romans 2, 9 with tribulation, anguish, and even judgment. 
Indeed, the black picture of sin is so terrible it was nearly impossible to even attempt to name some of the sins commanded by man. But I would urge every person to live such a holy life that you could insert your name in the following verse. I, your name. Galatians 2.20 in case you're wondering. I, Jane, whatever, are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, Jane, live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of our Son, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. And if we could hold up to that standard and to realize that we, as an individual, as a Christian, have an obligation to love the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, with our whole body, mind, and soul, and spirit. So I'm hoping that I didn't offend anyone, but we just looked at Scripture. And those that may be listening realize that we live in a precarious time. So let's endeavor to be able to live up to the standards outlined for us in Galatians 2.20. Amen.